Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford Lincoln Kia Hyundai, great new inventory, fabulous pre-owned inventory. All at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia routes 11 and 15. Hummel's Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. All right, so let's uh, get to our play-by-play call of the day. Penn State's Carl Nassib in overtime puts the Raiders in a position to win. Third and seven. Jackson trying to get out, can't do it. He's taken down and it's out. And the Raiders have recovered it. Carl Nassib had the hit on Jackson. Going to throw. Drake picked up the pressure all alone is Zay Jones. And he will prance into the end zone for the touchdown and the victory in overtime for the Raiders. Couple of great calls by Steve Levy last night on Monday Night Football. Fortunately, Nassib was organized. John Gruden was not. Holy mackerel. You got 23 coaches on that staff. You can't make sure the kicker's ready to go when you have no timeouts. I mean, you got to be kidding me. It was just. Yeah, that was a wild one last night. Wow. It was. Interesting. All right. The newest addition for us on the sideline this year and is already off to a great start with us, giving us great perspective, is Brian Tripp. Brian, welcome. Great to have you with us on the show. Steve, great to be with you. And I couldn't thank yourself, Jack, Roger, and Bob Moore for making me feel comfortable and welcome. And listening to Zach there for making me feel old that he just remembers a game from 2001, 2003, whatever he just said. (laughs) (laughs) What was your viewpoint watching them uh, field level? Because not only that, you get the interaction on the sideline as well. What did you see and hear? Yeah, I know we talked about some of the X's and O's and what the team did from a physical standpoint and from a personnel standpoint, but I'm really impressed with the vibe of the team. I think when we talked about you have the mentoring of the older players and coaching up the younger players, the excitement to see the defense create a turnover and Jesse Lucetta run it back for a score in the second half. Uh, there's a real energy about them, and I think you can really sense it down there on the field. But I really like the whole atmosphere and environment around the team right now. You could really get a sense for that probably more so on the sideline. Um, I think you can get a takeaway that there's something special going on just listening to their interviews or or being around and following the team on social media or just even watching from the from the stands or from the press box. When you're down there around them, uh, there's something unique about this team. It, it's not just one guy that they rely upon. There's so many different playmakers that they can get you with offensively, defensively, special teams. Um, it's got a real unique feel to it. I think that's maybe the start of something special. Long way to go, but we'll see. Something, and it goes back to the beginning of time around here with the uh with players 
when you establish and have a depth in a program, the older players secure in themselves, take time to tutor and mentor the younger players. During the game, are you seeing that? Absolutely, 100%. I think the biggest example was Ellis Brooks when he wasn't on the field for the first half. The way he was not only working with the linebackers and certainly Curtis Jacobs, Brandon Smith, and Jesse Lucchetto off a lot of experience, but to see a Tyler Ellison down there, to see King in the mix and whoever else, Charlie Catcher, who hasn't played as many reps, that whole group was really tight. And I think Ellis embodied that in many ways. Tariq Castro Fields with Kalen King is another example. Even Sean Clifford and Mike Yurcich with Taquan Roberson when he came in at the end of the game, uh, they wanted him to come in and do well. And it's not, there's not a threat of, Sean Clifford looking over his shoulder, there's more that mentorship of what can we do to make sure we're as deep as possible as a football team. And I really just am impressed with the way that they communicate, the way there's a band of brothers down there, the bond they seem to have. And that's not something you can coach. That's um, It starts with the culture and the foundation that James Franklin and staff put in place. But you have to have the right character and the right fit of personalities to do that as well. And I think when you look at what Penn State's been able to achieve by bringing in talent, there's more to talent. It's having the right character guys to fit that piece, and that comes back to what Penn State football's always been about. But, yeah, you could certainly see that on the sideline Saturday. Yeah, no, James always talks about the fit. Fit's always important. Fit's important with staff. Fit's important in terms of assistance. It's important with your recruiting and which players you bring in. Fit means everything with what they're trying to do. Uh, how valuable was it that they were able to play a game in the stadium before they play a whiteout game? Yeah, I think it was just a big piece because there are a lot of guys, at least I saw it right when they came out of the tunnel for the first time. Number one, there's the emotion of being back in the stadium for the players who have had that opportunity to play in the stadium before with fans and I know you gave the list of players who hadn't had the opportunity to start with fans in there before or see significant playing time but there was a pretty good group as well that has played there and just to not be overwhelmed by the moment of oh my goodness not saying that you took it for granted but wow this really is a special a special thing we have here at Penn State so I think number one just to get the emotions of being back there after what everyone went through last season um, is very important then number two, for the new guys, all right, this is the routine of we come out of the tunnel. The place is going nuts. Where do I go when I get on the sideline? What's the communication like during the game? The first quarter, it was loud, and I mean loud down there. It really carried on throughout the game. Not many people left early, um, probably until what, about five minutes left there in the fourth quarter. But it was loud. And you have to learn to communicate in those situations, not just on the field, uh, but on the bench, I know we talked about going into the game at the tailgate show, the defense last year, when you're on the road, the defense hadn't had to communicate with noise. And now all of a sudden you have to rely on your silent communication with noise in the stadium. So I think that was important to get that out of the way and to do it and do it really well against a good ball state team. I think that's not something to be lost in the way Penn State played on Saturday. That's a good Ball State team that's going to win a lot of football games this year and maybe even win the back conference. And I thought Penn State looked as impressive as maybe we've seen the last uh, what couple of years in a non-conference game against a non-Power 5 team. And I think you have to put a lot of weight into that. All right. So uh, that brings us to the next part because this hasn't been talked about yet. 
Everyone knows it's a whiteout. They've talked about what it means to Penn State. Auburn has not played a game in front of a road crowd like, you know, maybe there's 20,000 in the stands in 22 months. Where's the story on that? <laughs> I haven't I haven't read a story about that at all. I mean, they're both their no, games were at home. The, the SEC had some fans last year, but not like this, not 110,000. Yep. yep, and I think James, he, he just talked about it as well with a team like Auburn coming in here. Yeah, they may have the experience of playing in the SEC, uh, playing against really good competition, but there's a point of pride, not only for the Penn State football team, but I think the fans, in showing what a Big Ten environment is like. And uh, you know it, SEC teams don't come to the Big Ten to play. It just doesn't happen. So an opportunity for not only the team to show uh, what the whiteout is, but the fans to show what the whiteout and the atmosphere at Penn State is uh, compared to going to Bryant-Denny Stadium or to LSU for a night game there. I think there's a point in pride uh, in that as well, which will make it probably all that more raucous. And, you know, just in some of the early prep for the week, Steve, the one thing that, that caught me, if you look at Bo Nix's splits as a starting quarterback in road games, he has a 54% completion percentage right. with nine touchdowns and ten interceptions. In all other games, he has a 62% completion percentage with 24 touchdowns and three interceptions. Right. And that's a very, very significant split. No question. Um, and, and again, they'll have to deal with it. Because uh, normally SEC schools wear those shock collars, like when they get to the Mason-Dixon line, zap, and that's it, they go back. Uh, so I give Auburn a lot of credit for saying yes to the series. Cause, uh, yeah, Alabama's always traveled. Always that. Bear traveled. I mean, Bear's, Bear got this 10-game series going up here, home and away. Uh, every once in a while... We went north. We played Notre Dame. Okay, great. I got you. All right. <laughs> well, I think I think I read, and you probably know this too. It's the third ever meeting between a ranked SEC team and a ranked Big Ten team while they're affiliated with the conference. So it has to be a. You know, it's not like per se Missouri or uh, Texas in a couple of years like or Penn State, State prior to joining the Big Ten. Right, Penn but State playing Alabama. Ever, yeah. Yep, it's the third ever meeting between two ranked. Big Ten and SEC teams in non-conference play ever, ever. <laughs> yeah, which is, I mean, remarkable. Uh, obviously, you've been to whiteouts, but you're going to experience it on the field. What are you anticipating? A lot of sound. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> How high are you going to have the volume turned up on that headset? <laughs> it's going to be jacked up. Make sure I can hear. As I, I had one earphone off this week, just so you could. You know, I'd like to be able to hear what the players are saying coming on and off the field, what the coaches are saying when you walk by, and there are obviously some things you can and some things you can't share, but also just you get a gauge as to what the atmosphere is down there on the field. I think that's important as someone soaking it in um, on the sidelines and trying to relay that back uh, to the audience and to you and Jack upstairs. Um, I expect it to be electric. I mean, I don't know. I've been down on the field for parts of a whiteout before, but for not the entire duration of a whiteout. Um, the beginning, just to see the team come out, 
it, it's a bucket list thing. If you're a sports fan, it's a bucket list thing. Yeah. And I think a lot of times, and I don't, but as Penn State fans, you may take it for granted. If you're a season ticket holder, oh, I get to see a whiteout every year, you know. Um, how special is it? I think everyone recognizes it's special, but it truly is something that a lot of people don't get to ever experience as a sports fan. So I think we're very fortunate at Penn State to, to have the opportunity, whether it's to cover, to go to as a fan, uh, to be a part of it in some fashion. For many people, to have an opportunity to do that every year when it's something a lot of sports fans um, you know, just like maybe a Super Bowl would be, or just like a World Series game, or yeah, everyone has their own list going to a Masters of Tournament um, round. It's one of those events that is circled on the sports calendar, and there's a reason why College Game Day and ABC Saturday Night Football, there's a reason why they always pick the Whiteout at Beaver Stadium. I think it's just special to be a part of, and I hope that um, I'm able to realize what a great night that's going to be. This is the pure definition of imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Everybody's trying to come up with their own version of it. I give, you know, Guido Delia is the one that deserves all the credit for it because he's the one that got it started. He did it with a student whiteout. He was, he was trying to create some unity on campus and so forth. This was uh, Penn State in three and four, as we know, combined for seven wins. Normally, Penn State has seven wins by the middle of October. Uh, you know, so they were trying to get something going then. And the, what happened was the fan base and the rest of the stadium said, hey, what about us? Mm-hmm. And so then Ohio mm-hmm. State came up the next year, and that's the one time in my career where I felt the press box move. Mm-hmm. It was that night. Mm-hmm. Like, Yikes. Yeah, well, a lot of people, I think they forget that the whiteout started, the student whiteout started in 03, and that's when Taylor Stubblefield came in here with Purdue as one of the top receivers in the Big Ten, and he experienced it on the other side when it was the first ever one. And then I was a student, Steve, in 07. I was a freshman, and that was the first full stadium one with Notre Dame, and the game started a little slow, and Derek Williams took that punt back. And all of a sudden, you know, it went went down in history. And after that, um, yeah, at that point, that was a six. That was a marketing. That was a six o'clock game too. That Notre Dame game, you know. So it started out bright, sunny skies, all white. Lights took over, all white. Like this is cool. Yeah, really cool. I think what that that one um, against Alabama in eleven. Yeah, and then. And then this one, that'll be the only three against uh, non-conference. non-conference team. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and um, that that game in 07, I remember, if you read some of the stuff about it, too, quotes from Guido, they weren't sure if everyone was going to buy in. Um, they were a little skeptical. It was guerrilla marketing, wear white, signs outside the stadium, announcements, advertisements, whatever it may be. And then you show up on game day and you look out, and I think that's the coolest thing. It's not only in the stadium, if you – go to the top of the press box and look out in the parking lot. It's just a sea of white everywhere. And it'll probably be starting Thursday in State College right. already. And maybe Wednesday, for all we know. But that's the coolest thing about it. It's well, just awesome. And I love how you bought it, and you bought a white car. All right, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm somebody way to go. From somebody spray, I, that is spray paint, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Trooper, great to have you with us. What a fabulous addition you are. It means a lot to have have you there. Well, it means a lot to hear from you, Steve. So thanks so much, and I'll see you on Saturday. Looking forward to it very, very much. Um, 
Yeah, I guess they were going to do a whiteout with something the suit was doing, and like, I wear what I want. All right. It's just, uh, I mean, everybody has their own attitude about things. Uh, you know? Just stick with tells the dress me what code. to do. Dress code? Yeah, the white. I mean, for goodness sakes. We brought up Eric Wilson earlier. When it comes to dress code, the suit's no Harvard guy. We'll come back with more in a moment. Great to have you with us today as we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Get the lingerie on the deck. Call the janitor. From the 14, here's Carter Throw. Being chased, and he's going to be taken down. Second sack of the night, and it's Oway able to bring him down. There's three seconds left. Got to spend that time out. Uh, Odefe, a.k.a. Jason Oway, off to a great start, including that sack last night in Las Vegas. Um, well, I guess big smiles all the way around in the uh, station day. I guess the suit had a lot of uh, prop bets, sign stuff on the side. All right, it's, uh, I guess we're not supposed to get into that, are we? F-O-U-L-E-D, that spells foul. He's selling stuff, right? I just want to make sure we're, you know, if he's doing the job, I'm okay. That's the other side of the building. I'll let that side speak for itself. Doug texted me. He didn't know I didn't, he says, he didn't know I didn't use a spotter. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't use a spotter. So, like every mistake I make, it's all me, man. I have nobody to blame. <laughs> yeah, look, what are you doing? I told you. I told you the Tennessee story, right? The Outback Bowl story. Um, I don't know actually about this one. Uh, Raymond James Stadium, where the Bucks play, there's plexiglass between the booths, so you can see into the other booth. And we look over into the other booth, and there are 14 people in the Tennessee booth. Of course, we have four. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Wow. So Roger Roger wants to find out what's the deal in the Tennessee booth. So I guess they have two engineers, sideline guy, sideline guy is a producer, sideline guy also has an assistant. And up in the box there's the play-by-play guy, two commentators, and they have three spotters, one for Tennessee, one for, in this game, Penn State, and one for the officials. Okay, plus their producer, director, the whole thing. So Bob Kessling is their play-by-play guy. And he comes over before the game, and he he says, he says, now I hope you all don't get mad at your spotters today. He says, because we're wearing the white jerseys with the orange, orange numerals. They're kind of hard to see. And Jack slaps me on the back, and he says, you're looking at him. <laughs> and Bob gets his look at it. You spot your own game? I said, yeah. He says, why? I said, uh, probably budget cuts. I don't know. <laughs> no, I just made up something. Just... Tennessee football in a nutshell. <laughs> no, Bob's a great guy. He's a he's an excellent uh, announcer. Kidding, it's just yeah. it's just the way they do things. That's yeah. fine. I you know maybe it'll come to a point in my career where I'm going to need one. There are people right now screaming, "You need it now!" <laughs> but actually, I probably don't need it now. Um. Every you know, every once in a while, there's something where 
Okay? But it's... I've been knock on wood. It's been rare, but I haven't. I have not needed one. So we don't have one. So now you know all the screw ups are mine. <laughs> Taking your calls at eight hundred seven nine five nine five six five. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio ten seventy WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. Great new inventory. Fabulous pre-owned inventory. All with the Sunbury Motors guarantee. It's all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15. Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Okay. Um, Jason Campbell, who played quarterback for Auburn, he's been a part of the Auburn network, but now he's picked up another job with um, Adam Shine and CBS Sports uh, called uh, – NFL Monday QB. He's going to be on with Phil Sims, Boomer Siason, as I mentioned, Adam Shine. He's going to join us tomorrow. We're going to talk about Penn State, Auburn, and about that show as well. So he'll join us for that. Also coming up on Thursday will be our high school football roundtable. Everybody will be back in action. Sealands Grove coming off its big win on Friday night. Looks to make it two in a row. Shiklemi looks to break through. Lewis, Lewis uh, Burke looks to get back into action. So there's a lot going on on the show. And we're going to have more guests as the week moves along. And more phenomenal suit excitement. I mean, you just see him sitting at a desk. And don't you think the same thing I, I do? There is a whirlwind about ready to get going. Don't you think that? F-O-U-L-E-D, that spells Falda. I'll, I'll take that as a no. <laughs> it depends on the game. I mean, he is, a, he is a ball of energy. Sure, it looks like a casual walk, like, okay, hurry up, we're going to tee off now. All right. But it's he's conserving it for the burst. The way we talk about running backs, a pursuit as a burst. You don't seem to be buying. No, I, I can see that. Now that I think about it. Boy, was that ever a loyal answer. All right. <laughs> Get the lingerie on the deck. Call the janitor. All right. Now, the Eagles opened up with a win. Matt's team is in first place. You better in believe the it. East. All alone. Somebody will creep to within a half game on Thursday night. Because Washington plays the Giants. Somebody has to win. Meanwhile, the Bengals and the Steelers are tied for first in the AFC North. Baltimore lost last night. And the Browns lost a tough one to the Chiefs. 
as Patrick Mahomes made a couple of throws that only Patrick Mahomes can make. It also doesn't help when your punter finally punts and drops the ball. Not good. So let's talk about the Steelers, their opening win. It was impressive, especially in the second half. Neil Kulong joins us, sir. Always a pleasure. Great to have you with us. As always, it's great to be here. It's great to be in the regular season, and uh, we're, we're excited to get going. Let's start defensively. Obviously, they made sure that uh, Buffalo couldn't run the ball. And not only that, what did you think of the job they did of defending the quarterback draw by Josh Allen? I thought, going into it, my thought was going to be that uh, primarily this team was going to play out of nickel like they normally do. But the idea of uh, bringing a safety down to the box and play two safeties above that in their nickel package was going to be how they would contain Allen. How they they kind of put the fear in Allen to to not be able to get outside or not go uh, between the tackles. And they tried a couple of times. They tried to do that, but it wasn't a, a, a Steelers you know safety coming in to make the play. It was pretty much everybody on the field. They had. It, Allen had no room to move at all. I think that's a big part of, of the inspiration behind that bizarre fourth and one throw run thing that, that Buffalo tried to do on the, the fake Allen keeper. Uh, they had eyes on him the entire game. They kept him in place. And, and from a, a team perspective, I felt they did an excellent job of, of keeping him completely contained, forcing him to stay in the pocket and throw the ball, not get out on the move and make plays the way that we saw him do time and time again last season. All right, so, yeah, they were able to do that, and it kept them in the game uh, for a long period of time, and it gave the offense enough time to do something uh, along the way. Once they decided to get something going, what did you think of it? I thought we we saw, um, I don't want to say different concepts in the second half. They, they stuck with what they wanted to do. Uh, they were just able to hit on a few more of them, and that was really the difference. I mean, it, it's they ran 55 total plays, which is a, a pretty small amount uh, for a, a, a team that won the game. You, you won't see that a whole lot this season, but Pittsburgh's probably going to have a few of these. They had some issues, obviously, but um, their their ability to go wide on the field, that uh, the, the end around to, to Claypool, they, uh, a very clever way to, to get uh, Fryer with out in front. I don't know if you happen to see that one or not. Green yeah. as well, but they put those two guys out in space and really kind of sucked the Bills in, giving them the edge. Now, they, they tried that, I think, on like the second series. They tried something to that effect, and it didn't didn't go anywhere. They weren't able to hold the edge. Uh, some of that was because I think they had Friermuth stop at the tackle and then go up. On this one, they, they moved him all the way to the center and then uh, pulled him outside uh, along the edge. I think he, he got a hold of Tredavious White, and he put him like, five yards into the stand. I don't yeah. know if you saw that or not, but yep. he blocked him through the echo of the whistle, yeah. to put it mildly. It was great. You, you love seeing that from the Steelers' tight end. And uh, they're, they're going to have to do more small things like that creatively uh, to get guys into space in order to make, able to in order to get them to make plays. Um, they were stifled on the vast majority of, of you know anything that they really tried. They only had good success on uh, a pretty small handful of plays. It was enough in this game. Their defense played well enough to make it enough in that game. That's a pretty tough recipe to, to count on week in and week out, though. They're going to need to do a lot of the fundamental things a lot better than they did. I, I thought their run blocking was terrible for the most part. Um, they're they're going to struggle in that regard from what we just saw. Uh, Najee Harris, I think, had two quality runs the whole game. Um, 
one of them came in in, in a big moment, which was great. Yeah. You want to see more of that, but I don't think he picked up his first first down until the third quarter. Um, they, they, they've got a lot that they still need to do offensively, and this is going to be a recurring theme. Their offensive line is not going to be uh, consistently outstanding. Um, if they're going to play a team that also has a consistently poor offensive line like Buffalo each week, they, they might have a, a decent shot of things, but it's going to come down pretty quick. They're, they're playing much better uh, offensive lines within their own division, and uh, uh, Cleveland might have one of the best in the game. Baltimore's is going to be pretty good overall. They they had a bit of a rough spell last night, but they, right. they've got good pieces in there. Uh, they're they're going to have to get a lot better at controlling the ball um, and and maintaining possession and finishing drives with you know a little bit better probably than they did uh, Sunday. Uh, you mentioned Harris. Harris, I believe, led the nation last year in uh, in breaking tackles. Um, something, by the way, Nick Chubb is outstanding at still in the NFL. He didn't break many tackles on Saturday. Uh, I felt like it was Sunday, I should say. I felt like it was a welcome to the NFL, you're no longer in the SEC moment. It really was. and I, I in, in preparation for questions like this this week, I, I've gone through trying to choose my words carefully of how to say this, but Najee Harris has a lot of fight. He has a lot of strength, and he's going to need more of it because he does not have – yeah. The, the speed or the quickness to, to break plays at the NFL level. And I've been saying that since they drafted him. It, he's going to help them in the, the short yardage situation that they need. He's going to take what would have been one for their backs last year and make it three or four, which is great. Um, you saw him with really one opportunity to, to, to gain yards. He had a pretty good hole. He got eight yards out of it. You know, it's like, good. It, that's, that's nice. But, you know your your high end backs are going to get fifteen to twenty out of that. He's not going to be an explosive play guy, but he is going to be the workhorse, battering ram type of guy. And they tackled him with everything they had. There were five guys on him every time he touched the ball. Some of that was protection. Some of that was we're taking this guy out of the game. You are not going to get him going. You are not going to give him twenty five carries. We're going to get him off the field as quickly as possible. Um, they they hit him hard. Uh, they they gave him a, a pretty good beating, and you saw, uh, in my opinion at least, two mental mistakes in the passing game. Uh, he protected pretty well, but he wasn't exceptional running the ball, um, which doesn't automatically disqualify the possibility that they uh, uh, improved significantly from where they were last year. It was that mm-hmm. bad, but yeah. uh, he's going to have better games this season. He's going to need to. I mean, he had uh, I think what seven carries for eight yards the half mm-hmm. or something like that yeah um and he, he i don't think he finished a whole lot better than that so it, it's definitely work in progress there but i didn't see the ability to break many tackles he, he wasn't able to, to outmaneuver anybody on the field they, they hit him pretty much where he stood neil what did you think of uh, ben's performance i thought um overall i don't think it was his best game i don't think he got a lot of help either um I mentioned the two that Najee made. There were a couple uh, from Deontay Johnson that I saw that seemed a little bit off. Um, been through somewhere that, that Johnson didn't want to come back to. Um, it didn't count. The interception that got uh, overturned on the holding, um, Johnson for some reason floated backwards away from the sticks, which is right where uh, uh, Tredavious White was going. Uh, ben threw it to the spot. I feel like naturally that the receiver should have gone considering the situation. There were miscues like that. Um, week one, iron out kinds of things. I wouldn't be worried about it. Uh, it wasn't his best game. I don't think it was the receiver's best game either. So there, there are multiple issues that went on. Uh, physically, I thought he looked fine. Um, 
he missed on that one throw kind of deeper to Claypool. It was a great one that, that he put up for Claypool to go up over White to, to make a play. Uh, that was a great ball. Um, one of the, the clinching ones, the last field goal that they got, and that drive, uh, the third down completion he had to Claypool was a great throw. Mm-hmm. Uh, perfectly led exactly where it needed to be. Uh, Claypool didn't have to extend too much to get it, but out of the defender's reach and uh, a, a high completion type of throw that he has to make, and he, he stepped up and made it. So uh, pretty good. Um, he had issues, though. It wasn't it wasn't a clean game, I think, for anybody offensively. Um, ben is not immune to that. I, I don't think it was horrible, but not a great game. Um, he didn't get much help, and that, that's a good defensive team. You know, you got to give them some credit as well. T.J. Watt played about the way I thought he would, that he'd have a burst here or there, but would then also look like a guy who had not done much of anything in the preseason. What did you think? I thought I would agree with that. I think I'm going to be careful with this because I, I'll get killed in Pittsburgh by, oh, by suggesting that T.J. Watt is doing the, the you know, playing when he wants to play type of thing. No, no, no. He, I don't he th- went I, a lot harder I, I don't think I don't. Th- I don't think he's doing that. I just think it's typical of a guy that didn't play where he had these a, a few great bursts where everybody goes, wow, there he is, he's back. And then other times when he's in the witness protection program because he's been out. Yeah, I, I think some of that is caused by stamina. I, I don't yes. think he had the football burst, you know, to do that play in and play out the way that he has to this point in his career. Um, being 24, 25 years old, you have the ability to do that. That's going to kind of wear away as, as time goes on. I think, and I, I don't I don't use this as a criticism. I just think this is what happened. I think he took a couple plays off. I, I think there was, you know, probably some endurance issues in there. Um, but that's why they have a third outside linebacker as well. The benefits of having three of them in there, all three of them made plays the entire game between Highsmith, Watt, and Ingram. Uh, they, they all made plays. So you're, you're happy with that. Uh, but Watt, yeah, his stat line, I, I definitely think, is indicative of his of his performance of his play but it wasn't a snap to snap thing i think that that uh it might have been in the past he didn't impose his will every time out there but man when he did those those bills offensive tackles had a, had a rough outing they did <laughs> the the one um i think ingram got held on the other side watt beat him off watt beat the tackle off the line and then slipped underneath him and went around, and Hayward pushed right. over the guard, who I don't think he even saw him somehow, flushed Allen to his right, and Watt ran him down. It was a complete disaster from the Bills' protection of that play, and Watt gets the benefit of it, but really are two other guys that made that play as much as he did. There were a lot of examples of that. I, I don't think it really, it, for me, it was truly a, a – I would categorize it as a team performance because so many guys had great games. I don't want to look just at the stat book and say T.J. Watt got credited with two sacks and the forced fumble, therefore he had the best game. I don't think that was true. I think it, if we're picking one, it's probably Hayward. But mm-hmm. overall, right. Hayward dominated, Watt dominated, Ingram dominated. I thought they, they did a great job in the secondary. It took Stephon Diggs completely out of any playmaking opportunity. And they, they set it up really well for themselves. That, that's why they won the game. They were able to win all of those key downs. And I expect Watt to play about the same this week where there'll be bursts and then times where you're just not even sure he's, he's on the roster. I think in week three, because it, it, you and I both know, he hasn't had to physically exert himself. And now he has to go through recovery for the first time. Uh, and so that's what I expect this week. Then by week three, I expect he, he now is into a pattern. And he becomes the dominant player again. Yeah, you start to see that the yeah. the, the after effects become part of the strategy. Right. You know, there, there's only so much that you're able to do. That's an advantage too, though, of having 
something of a rotation. I think maybe because of that first game uh, fatigue that's going to come with it. Mike said at the press conference today that he could see, you know, pulling a few veterans out of of practice early this week because they're relatively healthy. I don't think that's Watt necessarily, but I I don't think they're going to put him through a lot as he recovers from contact for the first time That's in, right. in nine months or whatever it is. So yeah, I agree. You might see something of production um, or production aside. I think you might see something of um, he might sub out a little bit more. He might not play as much. Maybe they put Ingram over there a little sure. bit more uh, to, to kind of, you know, balance the load a little bit and get him ready to, you know, get his body fully ready to, to take on the week to week battles that come with this sport. And if, if that's the production you're going to get from this week, if he can repeat two-thirds of that, uh, you're, you're looking at a player that's right. and then get him some rest. You're that's looking right. at a, a defensive player that you're candidate against. Exactly. Exactly. Exactly right. It, you know, we're not sitting here criticizing what's going on. We're talking about the physical reality of what he's trying to do. Okay, There's a big difference between criticizing somebody, which is not what we're doing here, and talking about the physical reality <laughs> of what you're trying to do because you haven't done it in a long time. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not as simple, even for a 26-year-old, right. it's not as simple just to go out there and, and run around. I mean, I, I got I to chuckle out of the, the weekly or the daily media reports. T.J. Watt, you know, not in drills, but he's running on the side. Like, great. <laughs> Yippee. It, 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 I'll say it again. I, I've said it in this segment before. I'll say it again. You don't get better at playing football by not playing football. Right. You can get conditioned. You can get in shape. You can cut weight. You can add weight, whatever it is. That alone does not make you better at the game of football. You have to play it, especially the most underrated position as far as technique goes, without question, is your edge pass rusher. If you look, I'll, I'll reference the, the, the strip sack that he had again. If you look, he beats the tackle off the line. The tackle recovers, and you watch the, the two moves that Watt puts on him at the spot that he did where he went from engaged with the guy to two steps ahead of him. That He set that up. That was all technique. He, he basically knocked the guy's hands down and then climbed underneath him, and the guy couldn't get back to, to defend him at all. And Watt was able to run Allen down in the open field from there. That's practice. That's technique. You need to be able to do that stuff against live blocking. You can't just practice it with your hands on a dummy. You've got to be able to do that live. Um, he, he is the, the main, um, not problem, but one of the issues that I think Watt had coming out of college and Mike Tomlin spoke to this when he was drafted as well. It's not that he's inexperienced. It's not that he's raw. It's that he's inexperienced. Yes. So it's it's not that he hasn't played the game and has no clue. He hasn't done enough of it. He hasn't had a, a lot of opportunities to refine those things. And I think what we saw of him his rookie year was he was really just kind of an inexperienced guy. Great burst. Great explosion an excellent athlete who didn't quite know how to use his hands yet. And we saw a good amount of that his rookie year. He was a good rookie player, um, not a dominant defensive player yet, though. By about the midway point in the second year, you could see a, a, a switch get flipped with him. All of a sudden, he's putting together these secondary and tertiary moves to be able to, to outlast a tackle, to work him beyond just outrunning him which is something that, not to steer the conversation in the wrong direction, but it's something that Bud Dupree never really developed. Right, it was a exactly. real secondary yeah. move. Watt was putting three moves on guys right. by midway through his first year, and you could see that. It's like, this is a high-level dude. He's going to play. Um, you're you're going to get a lot from him. This is going to be the highest-paid player in the game, which is you know, where he is now. So um, he, he doesn't need the work on that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, what he needs is the banging. What he needs is is more... Uh, in line 
type of football conditioning. And he's going to get that as the weeks go on for sure. I, I think we'll get him at his best probably around midseason. Um, and a lot of that is because he didn't go through camp. He had a great week uh, this week. Let's see how he does in week two. I, I agree completely with you. That conditioning is going to catch up to him. It's right. not, you know, that was one game. Now he's got to build on that after getting knocked down for the first time in, in 10 yeah. months. Let's see what he does the next week. I'm sure he'll be he'll be good, but yeah. it, it's just simple physical fact. He's not going to be as explosive yeah. in week two as he was in week one. And then in game three, it, it settles in. Uh, so now first time is Melvin Ingram being the bookend. What did you think of him? Oh, man, he had a game yeah, or what? Didn't he? I, it, it, it was, I, I never thought of this. It didn't dawn on me until I was seeing Ingram fly all over the field and then go go take a snap off. The Steelers never rotated three outside linebackers in a long time, if, you know. if they have. And Ingram was – he is the perfect signing, and this is exactly why I was so excited about it. The things that they can do with him, he's such a great A-gap penetrator. He, he's really good on the move. He stunts really well, and he's just a savage when it comes to getting to the quarterback. And there was one, the guy's yanking down on his shoulder pad – and Ingram isn't looking to, to shake the guy off or anything. He just reaches out and grabs onto Allen like by the shoulder blade or something like that. It was just like yeah. he was completely self-possessed on what he needed to do. Body aside, he's reaching himself across a, a pile of humanity where Josh Allen was, and he still made a play on the ball. I, it, I, I love the way he approaches the game. I love what he's able to do. And he, he's going to continue to do that, in my opinion. It, it, it's a great signing, and he just played one of the best games he's played in a long time. Um, he's setting himself up to make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. somebody, somebody's going to want to sign him long-term after this season. Well, we don't give you any money yet. You're worth every dime. That's <laughs> <laughs> <So>, all. <laughs> Neil, always the best. Thank you so much. We appreciate you more than you know. Definitely. The pleasure's all mine. Thanks, guys. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years.